0: Hello, everyone. and Thank you for joining today's conference call. I'm Jim Doyle with Business Forward, and I'll be moderating our conversation. Currently, all lines are in listen-only mode. Today, we're discussing ways Republicans and Democrats can come together on legislative priorities like tax reform and infrastructure investment. Joining us are the co-chairs of the House Problem Solvers Caucus, Representative Josh Godheimer, Democrat from New Jersey, and Representative Tom Reed, Republican from New York. This is an interactive phone briefing, so after the congressman make the remarks, we'll open to you for questions and comments, and also get your ideas on ways Republicans and Democrats can work together. For those of you who are new to our programming, Business Ford organizes local roundtables, Washington fly-ins, conference calls, webinars, and media trainings for more than 100,000 business leaders across America. At these briefings, entrepreneurs, investors, small business owners, and executives get the chance to brief policymakers on issues affecting their businesses. To date, more than 550 members of Congress, governors, mayors, and senior administration officials have participated, and this is all thanks to the support of more than 60 of America's largest and most respected companies. Before we get started, I need to cover a few housekeeping items. Uh, First, we are recording this call, and it will be available as a podcast, which you can download from Business Forward's website. We will also send a link to the podcast in the follow-up email that you'll receive after today's call. Uh, Second, this is an interactive phone briefing, and there will be time for you to ask questions and make comments. Um, You can do this in one of two ways. You can press 1 at any time to ask your question live, or you can email info at businessfwd.org. When we call on you to ask a live question, please introduce yourself with your business and where you're calling from. Please include that same information if you email the question. Again, you can press 1 to ask your question live, or send your question by email to info at businessfwd.org and we'll add to the queue. Uh, Let's get started. Please welcome Congressman Josh Gonheimer and Congressman Tom Reed. Uh, Congressman Gonheimer.
1: Thanks, Jim, and thanks, everyone, for joining the call today. We really appreciate it. Hope everyone's having a terrific summer, Uh, and it's good to be here with uh, Business Forward, which I think is really a terrific organization, and and with uh, my good friend Tom Reed from New York. Um, Tom and I, as you'll hear in a minute, have uh, gotten to know each other really well over the last months, Uh, I just got elected this past November, and I was uh, at Microsoft most recently, but spent my career in both the public and private sectors, but most of the time, uh, like most people uh, at the business table, trying to get things done, and and that always meant to me accepting 80% and not insisting on getting 100% of everything you wanted, but the idea was to talk to each other and actually try to move forward, and so... Part of what Tom and I have been working on is co-chairs of something called the Problem Solvers Caucus, which has at this point now 22 Democrats and 22 Republicans. It always has to be even. Uh, And we work together every single week. We're in Washington, or nearly every single week, sometimes twice a week, like this week, uh, to see if we can take on issues that um, may be stuck or that really the country needs to focus on and and find that 80% solution. This week, we're in fact talking a lot about healthcare together, and uh, which is, has been, as you probably know, not a bipartisan so far uh, piece of legislation. And we're trying to figure out ways we can move forward together. And we've spent a lot of our time this year talking about infrastructure uh, improvements and tax reform, which we think should go together. Um, we're talking about the budget and uh, a lot of issues that we think we can find some good common ground. And it's been. You know, candidly, the best conversations I've had were, are ones where we're actually working late at night, and last night we had some beer and had tacos, and where we, we uh, really dig in together and, and see if there are, there are plenty of places where we can look for that, that common ground. So um, I'll turn it over to Tom in a second, but I'll, I'll tell you, there's, there's, you know, if we focus, I really believe, you know, and if we talk to everyone and talk to all sides, which we've been doing, talking to people in the administration. I'm uh, talking to uh, Speaker, sat down with Speaker Ryan, our caucus, with Leader Pelosi, um, over the Senate. We we really as business leaders. We we try to talk to all different stakeholders and look for places where the country really sees an opportunity for key progress. And again, that's tax form infrastructure, um, certain regulatory reform. Uh, talking this week about healthcare and and uh, and the fact that this that you're out there listening and engaging is really important because we all know and. I know I I, I hope I don't speak for Tom here, and I hope it's okay with Tom that I do, but what we all worry about is what's going on at home, and that's our job. It's not to worry about Washington, but to worry about uh, businesses and and folks back uh, in our districts that we represent and how we help them. So the the fact that you're on uh, means a lot because we really always need to be hearing from people back home out in the country. So, Tom, I'll, I'll turn it over to you, but thanks so much again for having us.
2: Well, well, thanks, Josh, and uh, thank you, Jim, and, and to Business Forward, and uh, putting this call together as well as uh, organizing across the country uh, for what I truly do believe, and I'll echo a lot of what Josh said, uh, but I won't try to repeat it. Uh, I've been here since 2010 in Washington, D.C. as a member of Congress, and I've on the Ways and Means Committee, so I had a front row seat over the last six years in developing tax policy, trade policy, and taking on health care uh, for America as we go forward. And, I, and I'll tell you, uh, I am all in on this Problem Solvers Caucus. We have developed the a, a caucus uh, from the historic, uh, where we used to get together, have coffee, get to know each, each member, but now we've uh, taken a page out of some of our other influential caucuses here in Washington and developed a voting block mechanism where if we can get to consensus, and essentially that means 51% on each side, Democrat and Republican support in the caucus of those 44 members, plus an overriding 75% position, uh, we will vote as a block. And I will tell you, in my tenure in Washington, D.C., the, the most important numbers uh, that I live by are 218 and 60. And and those are what it takes to pass legislation in the House at 218 and 60 votes in the Senate, generally, unless you're going to go down the partisan path of the budget process and reconciliation. And many of you have probably seen uh, that process on display with the health care bill and know the details of that as we go forward. I, I really have the mindset, you know, learning the lessons of history. Uh, looking at the Affordable Care Act done on a partisan basis, look at all the turmoil, division, and uh, and where we're at right now uh, in regards to health care. And that was done on a partisan basis. But then you look at victories like Bill Clinton did uh, when it came to welfare reform. Uh, you look at Ronald Reagan uh, when they did tax reform back in 1986. These were bipartisan deals uh, where you had 70% of the loaf uh, uh, declared as victory, and you move forward. And uh, And who benefits from all of that? Not only are you, I think you're, doing good as a legislator and feel good that you're getting something to accomplish. But most importantly, you're solving problems for the American people. And that's why I'm proud to join with these guys, because they're governing members. Uh, we are not organizing uh, to block legislation. We are organizing to get to yes, uh, to govern for the American people. And I'll tell you, this is, to me, the last great hope to break this gridlock out of Washington, D.C. And uh, we're taking a position, uh, have taken a position on the government, uh, the government shutdown. Uh, a couple months ago, and I think we played a role in avoiding that shutdown, uh, given where our voting block uh, mechanism kicked in on, and now we're moving into the area of health care. And I I think over the last uh, two days in particular, and last week we started this conversation, uh, there are a lot of people uh, that are willing to take on this hard problem and move forward on the issue of health care and tee us up for tax reform and infrastructure. So that is a position we've already taken as a caucus, where if we can tie tax reform and infrastructure together... Uh, You you have the environment for us to come together and put a deal together to support a partisan deal uh, to get to 218. And if we need to, 60 votes in the Senate. So I appreciate all you do. Appreciate you supporting the effort. And most importantly, appreciate you being engaged uh, because it's so easy today to just become cynical and just say the place is broken and there's nothing you can do. But I'll tell you, we, we can't give up on the process and we can't give up on getting things done. And that's what Problem Solver Caucus is all about.
0: Uh, thank you, Congressman Reed, and thank you, Congressman uh, Gottheimer. Uh, again, if you'd like to ask questions, just press one on your dial pad, and you'll be put in queue, or you can just uh, email the questions at info@businessfwd.org. At um, before we get to the the live questions, uh, Congressman Reed, why combine infrastructure and tax reform? What what's what's so special about trying to do those at the same time?
2: Well, first, uh, substantively, I mean, obviously, a lot of folks have been paying attention on tax reform in regards to the uh, trillions of dollars, $2.6 trillion now we're up to, I believe it is, of overseas profits that are trapped overseas, what they call repatriation. Uh, That is a revenue pot uh, that many folks are very eager to step into in order to fund uh, the infrastructure investment that we're talking about in America. Now, that's not going to do it in and of itself. That's why public-private partnerships and everything else are part of the equation to get that trillion-dollar Um, number that the White House has put out, and being one of the first eight on the Republican side in Congress to support the administration, I work hand-in-hand with them, and I applaud their goal, uh, being a former mayor, what infrastructure needs are in America, and seeing that firsthand. And um, the other thing, just to be perfectly honest with you and blunt, um, if we combine infrastructure with tax reform, I know infrastructure is kind of like the old-fashioned sweetener uh, that they tell me about in the older days, uh, that brings votes to the table. Uh brings uh, people that are maybe not in a position to support tax reform, uh, but because you, you they get something in regards to the investment in infrastructure, uh, you get two, 218 and maybe 60 votes in the Senate. So to me, from a substantive perspective, there's a tie, but also politically, goes a long way to helping us get to a successful outcome.
0: Thank you. Um, our first question is from Hugh Campbell in New York. Uh, Hugh, your line is now live. Uh, I'm with UJ Campbell, Jr., CTA.
3: Um, My question is for Congressman Gothheimer. Uh, As a uh, problem solver, how does your view of the concept of bipartisanship differ from just obtaining a few votes from across the aisle to justify labeling a bill as bipartisan for window dressing purposes?
1: Well, I appreciate the question. I, you know, I hope that I don't do anything for window dressing purposes that you know I, we pick legislation that actually matters and is going to mean something and affect people. So I mean, what we're talking about right here and what Tom Ree was just talking about, um, you know it it has to be from the beginning, you have to make sure that this is actually serious and dig into it. Um, secondly, as Tom's saying, you have to make sure that it's a priority that's going to help the country. So, like infrastructure and tax reform, which is truly has bipartisan, Support. I mean, not everybody, right? I mean, you don't get everybody when something's bipartisan, but there are a lot of people who believe our taxes are too high, or that the taxes are too complicated for small businesses and big businesses and medium-sized businesses and people, right? And and um, who believe we need the reform. You, you our tax reform, our tax code is written in a way right now that promotes sending jobs overseas. Um, we have uh, trillions of dollars in cash sitting overseas from a lot of our companies because our tax code is written in such a way that actually encourages, and dis encourages it. And as, since we have some of the highest corporate tax rates in the world, um, the highest fall OECD countries, as you know, that that companies just don't bring back their dollars. And so um, part of what is tax reform, I think, is important is repatriating the dollars. You've, you've got, we know at least $2.5 trillion um, sitting overseas we can bring back that revenue for and put it toward infrastructure. And, and infrastructure is critical, in my opinion, to economic growth. And if you're going to have in Jersey, where I'm from, we've got the ninth worst, eighth or ninth thing on the study, eighth or ninth worst roads in the country. Number one worst on-time transportation system, New Jersey Transit. Last year, um, we don't have enough capacity. As you know, being from that area, to get in from New Jersey to New York, um, uh, so it affects commute times, and, and we're losing businesses and jobs because of it. So there's a reason why the, these issues bring a lot of bipartisan support, but that it still means it's got to get, doesn't mean it's going to get done unless we actually work together to get it done, and that's what we're very focused on.
0: Our next and maybe I'll, from,
2: uh, If I could add some to that, Jim, right. uh, just to echo yeah, what sure. Josh says. But more importantly, you know that's why we went from the old Problem Solvers Caucus where there was about 80 of us uh, that would just get together and there was really no uh, mechanism uh, to hold people accountable in regards to using the Problem Solvers Caucus uh, label back, to, back at home for political campaign pur- purposes. And so there were a lot of people involved in it that were probably the most partisan people I, I've ever worked with here on both sides of the aisle uh, that we saw that. And so that's why the voting block mechanism, when you sign up to say, if we can find that consensus, uh, we're going to stand firm together. And when we t- find consensus, it's 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 on substantive issues. It's on issues that impact uh, our policy and the American people on a day-to-day basis. And I'll tell you, we that's why we weeded out from 80 plus members back down to about 44. Uh, and we were as low as I think 36 uh, when we started this Congress with this new problem solvers caucus. And it's growing. Uh, the appetite they see us becoming effective, and I'll tell you, as a legislator, that's what you're here for. 99% of the members are here to get things done, not just to get the doors open for them and driven around town. There are members like that that are just so emboldened by the pin, the pin they wear on their shoulder, that that's all they care about. But I will tell you, the people in the Solvers Caucus, I know to a T, are real legislators that are willing to take on some hard issues in order to get things done and be able to look back at the end of the career. I'm I'm going on eight years into it. And I'll tell you, when you can legislate and get something accomplished and solve some problems... That's re- very rewarding rather than just sitting here doing nothing.
0: Uh, our next question is from Sage
1: Bornstein. Uh, Sage,
0: your line is live.
1: Hi, good afternoon. Thank you so much to both congressmen for uh, coming on this call. I really appreciate it. I really appreciate all your efforts at uh, bipartisanship, uh, both in this call and, and otherwise. Uh, my name is Sage Bornstein. I work at the Partnership for Responsible Growth. I completely agree with your analysis of uh, tax reform and infrastructure being coupled. And I uh, would just love to hear about some of your ideas about specific policy pay fors. I know that there's been a lot of things different thrown out there. Uh, the Trump administration plan was kind of it's one page, didn't really have any pay fors. The border adjustment tax is carried a little bit, it's somewhat of a heavy weight. And so I'm really just knowing what your pay for ideas are. And if you're looking at kind of outside the box, I'm bringing in a lot of different stakeholders and looking at things, maybe like. Uh, putting a price in carbon emissions or other other large-scale, multi-trillion-dollar pay-fors?
2: Well, maybe I'll take that question, Josh, being on the, on the committee and who's been dealing yeah. with this issue. First of all, uh, the, the pay-fors that we're looking at, I mean, these are, we are going down the path of revenue neutrality. Um, and that means all the pay-fors essentially have to be done through the tax code itself. And so when you look at, like, border adjustment tax, that's about $1.2 trillion worth of a pay-for of additional revenue uh, to go a long way to bridging what we're trying to do. We're trying to reduce rates. We're trying to simplify the codes, uh, the code. And, and what that means is that's going to cost some money. But if you have new concepts, interest deductibility was a, another major pay-for. The, the loss of local property um, uh, tax deduction uh, for local and state uh, uh, taxes uh, is another uh, area. And so, you know, we're going through this process. Uh, obviously, border adjustment uh, is something that we're still running in the committee because we just haven't seen a good alternative put out there. But you know, there's maybe ways to reform border adjustment tax uh, in order to get to that sweet spot that we're trying to talk to that still generates additional revenue. And then also, this is all dialable. I mean, you look at what we're proposing in the committee, for example, in regards to immediate expensing. Uh, I'm a big fan of immediate expensing, being a small business owner. You can write the stuff off in year one. Boy, that helps the cash flow, and that frees up a lot of cash flow. Uh, that otherwise would have to be uh, lingering out there that you couldn't invest in your business, uh, rather have that cash flow to grow and, and make investments. Uh, but maybe you move the dials. Uh, maybe we can't do immediate expensing on the depreciation schedule. So that's really generally where the, the conversations are, are occurring, is okay, if we're going to do revenue neutrality and we're not going to add to the deficit. Uh, how are we going to uh, bridge that difference? And that's where working with the White House principles, the Senate principles on a weekly basis, uh, being on the committee, Uh, We we are working through that as we speak, but the good news is we're working through it now proactively, so that as we tee up tax reform into September, uh, these hard issues and hard decisions will then generally made, and then we'll go through the process to figure out the details, but the framework will have uh, enough meat on it, if you would, uh, for us to give clear guidance where we're going, and then work out the details to get to the finish line. Josh?
1: No, I would I mean I, I think just adding to that the the key here on on paying for these things uh, is to make sure you really are it, it, we don't know enough details yet, ultimately, it will be in the package, and so it's very difficult to know exactly um, how the different pay fors are going to work out and and uh, depending on what the where the rates are and where you bring the rates down to and which loopholes you close and how repatriation works I think what we need to do is make sure as we think about this and as we get there, um, that we are very smart about how we um, both structure the code so that it incentivizes growth and business to uh, to prosper, but also make sure that individuals are also looked out for and that we have real pay for We can't afford to let our, our our debt explode, continue to explode, and we've got to watch the deficits and, and so that has to be done in a fiscally responsible way. And that's what we're all in the caucus keeping an eye on to make sure that we get tax reform, but in a smart way, and one that allows for infrastructure to be possible as well.
0: So um, we've got a number of email questions that all relate to uh, short-term versus long-term tax reform. Uh, here's one from Ann Beers in Riverside, California. question is, a worry that I have is that at the end of the year, Republicans will not be able to get the votes for tax reform and will instead try to pass a temporary tax cut. This will do little to give me the certainty I need to make long-term decisions about how to invest and hire in the years ahead.
2: Well, that's exactly the, the question of the day, uh, and and that's why revenue neutrality. And not to get too far into the DC weeds, but. You know, reconciliation uh, dictates that you have to do it in a revenue-neutral way in both budget windows, the first 10 years and the second 10 years. That's 20 years' worth of revenue neutrality in order to get to permanency with 51 votes in the Senate. And so the the concept or the issue, and we just had Secretary Mnuchin over to the Problem Solvers Caucus now for the second time. And as he said, you know, he's a proponent of permanent, but if you can't get permanent, you take temporary, uh, because temporary is better than nothing. I'm of the mindset, and I was very clear with the Treasury Secretary, we need to do permanent. And you know what I would offer is there's another way to do it too. Uh, You can just uh, scrap the whole reconciliation inside DC 51 vote threshold and let's do a deal. Let's do a deal with my friends on the other side because no one can defend the broken tax code and let's do it on a 60 vote threshold. And then you're not as restricted by revenue neutrality uh, for permanency's sake, uh, which they're going down as we speak. Uh, And you get more flexibility to come up with good sound tax policy that on a dynamic basis a growth basis can go a long way in my opinion to absorb any negative impacts on the budget deficit or the national debt because you're going to be growing the economy at that three to four percent level that you know they're mocking the White House out for saying that's not achievable but my god three percent growth that was a US standard for decades and to say that somehow we're going to up to the 2.5 percent growth is just unacceptable to me as an American
1: let me just add to that if I can Tom you know the whole the whole point of us really sitting around this table and this this caucus is to figure out how we can let this this go forward, needing 60 votes. In other words, this being a permanent change, not a, a short-term change. To your to your excellent question, which as somebody who's in the private sector most of my career, I, I you have to have certainty, right? No business can plan without certainty. And you're so you're right. Whether it's tax reform, whether it's reg reform, um, we need. You, Businesses need to know how to plan properly, how to hire, what kind of investment to make. Will will they get deductions for investing in infrastructure, right? for capital expenditures, for putting in a new drill or putting in a new line? right? You can't make those investments if you don't actually know how to plan for them properly. So I think it's up to us, and part of what we're working on is if we can provide enough votes and we get to an agreement here, then we can actually find bipartisanship, give the cover that everyone needs in the number of votes, and then we can go toward – a bipartisan solution, which will be permanent, not a short-term fix. I really have problems with these short-term fixes because, as you point out rightly, it's like trying to – how would you build a highway if you approve money every year and don't actually approve five years that it's going to take to build the highway? You know, you can't actually start because if in the middle of a project they say, oh, I'm sorry, we're out of money. Um, that's just no way to, to run a, a country, and it's no way to run a business. And I, I think those of us who, who right, have spent time in both sectors, you realize that this is the kind of certainty that – That people need, that businesses need to actually grow. So, thanks for the question.
0: Our next question is from Stephen Sohn. Uh, Stephen, your line is now live. Stephen.
3: Yes, sir. Sorry. My question is: uh, How are we going to get the benefits as? Outlined by by the the President and by uh, the financial staff, looking at uh, what happened with the uh, Act of uh, progress on health care, why aren't we going to face that same kind of quiet opposition of sabotage? All that you gentlemen and uh, most of us, this is.
0: I'm sorry, uh, Stephen. What? You're breaking up, um, uh, Congressman uh, uh, Reed and Congressman Gottheim, were we able to hear the question? Yeah, Jim. Uh,
2: I had a real hard time. I couldn't really
1: pick not up. Not on really. You. Not really. I'm sorry.
0: Yeah. All right. Let try
1: one more time. Yeah, that'd be great. So I apologize.
3: I'm on a highway and I can't uh, help. I'm just, I'm just looking at what happened with the, um, healthcare legislation and the surprises that our, uh, of the Senate and including the, the House, got the big surprises that, um, that the people they thought that were going to be with them ended up not certain people that should definitely be Democrats and not Republicans, but... Where you get elected sometimes. Um, how are we going to avoid that type of upset on the tax legislation? What are you going well, to maybe do I'll, to really yeah, support
2: yeah. Well, I can tell maybe because uh, on the Republican side, uh, I think the, the lesson, the biggest lesson we learned uh, from the health care bill, and I think it has been uh, learned, is we are going to work with the principals in the House with the Ways and Means Committee, uh, the Finance Committee in the Senate, in the White House leading officials like Gary Cohn and Steve Mnuchin. All of those principals, all of us are getting together on a weekly basis to kind of work through the process of what that framework of tax reform is going to look like. And a lot of people mock the one page that the White House put out, but I will tell you from a tax policy perspective, having clarity as to what the White House was originally starting to propose is tremendous help. And what we will do is over the next 30 days, in my opinion, uh, we will have those conversations and then we'll be able to all announce uh, probably sometime in September uh, that this is kind of the framework of what we're looking for and where we've already kind of run some of the traps. Uh, and then we will start the process of getting that information, that legislative text, out uh, to the people, uh, to the country. Uh, because the other lesson of the health care bill is that they pretty much kept it close to their chest and then we tried to run it at the last uh, minute, and really people got caught uh, uh, by surprise. And so we got we to do a different approach. And the different approach is making sure all the principles are on the same page, and then uh, get the legislative process to do what it needs to do with a transparent and let it, let it survive on its own merits or be reformed uh, based on merit. And I tell you, if you take that approach, that to me is a much more successful outcome, and you're not cramming things down in the middle of the night uh, in order to just try to take care of something that people really don't understand all the details on.
0: Congressman Gottheimer?
1: No, I think that's right. I mean, I, I, don't, I don't have much to, uh, to add. I think that's. I think Tom captured it.
0: Okay. Um, our next question is from Paul Lashman uh, from New York. Paul, your, live's not, your line is now live. Yeah. Hi. Um, this is more a logistical question. How how do small businesses like my, myself and other that are on this line get at seat at the table are there uh, external working groups that you use to help advise your your plans that we can get into
1: it's a great question Josh, go ahead. Uh, yeah sure I, no, I was just saying you know I, I know the first Tom and I spent a lot of time at home as we talked about this talking to small businesses in our districts um, uh, two I think you know frankly business forward if Jim if you're up to it, it could be a real big help to us here. Um, Make sure we, we have people come in all the time and meet with the caucus, especially you, you know CEOs uh, or people who run small businesses, bigger businesses, companies that um, are on the front lines. I think if you're up to it, sir, it would be really helpful for us if you and Jim can help uh, you know make this happen um, to, to provide us some feedback. And if you're ever in town, and if a group of small businesses want to come together and meet us, and uh, I, I think it would be enormously uh, helpful. Um, and you know, or email in comments, especially you know, right now we're 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 trying to deal with tax with tax reform and infrastructure, as you heard, but also healthcare. Um, and and now that we're, the group of us are attempting to sit at the table and say, hey, let's let's try to find ways where we can move this forward. We we all know there's aspects that need to be fixed. Um, so so can we do this in a bipartisan way and keep all the nasty politics and backbiting out of it? Um, and I, I know that's what many of us want. Um, that's why we're here we're not here just to fight with each other and uh, and and I know that's what people think but the good news is there's a group of us that really are trying to solve problems but we need the input so if you're up to it I'd really really appreciate it
2: Well, and to add upon that uh, not only I mean are you represented I think Small Business America by great organizations such as Business Forward but also the Chamber of Commerce you got the National Association of Manufacturers that has a small business uh, section to it NFIB obviously is a loud voice uh, here. So making sure that you're communicating with those stakeholders if you participate with those stakeholders as to uh, what you want them to advocate for I think is critical. But I think the most important thing uh, to recognize is a member who comes from western New York. Uh, I've mean, I got a, a, a district about the size of state of New Jersey, and I'm working with a New Jersey guy on the other side of the aisle. So maybe that's where the kindred soul comes from. But um, small business America, especially in rural America, that, that's that's who we are. That's who I represent. That's... You know, i got a couple uh, large organizations like Corning Incorporated, Cummins Engine in the district, but lo- and to a large degree, it's Small Business America that represents uh, us uh, in, in western New York. And I'll tell you, reaching out to your member, uh, engaging your member, participating in maybe a roundtable that a member's having, or asking your member to sit down with three, four, six other uh, small business members uh, Folks, it goes a long way, and I will tell you, your voice is something that most members are going to be very responsive to because that's who they represent, uh, especially in the Problem Solvers Caucus. I mean, we're across the country, but I'll tell you, on the Republican-Democrat side, most district, it's small business America in particular that we want to hear from.
0: Uh, and for Paul and all the other people on the call, uh, Ways and Means has requested comments from small business leaders. Um, we're going to be sending an email out uh, uh, probably tomorrow with uh, links to uh, where to, to make it easier for you to do that we're also going to be combining comments we get from people through our network and submitting them as a group with certain themes identified so um, the you know, uh, uh, submitting testimony is a lot easier than it sounds, and it's it's very effective. um so and we're gonna be, uh, we'll be doing we'll be we'll be starting that uh, on tax reform probably tomorrow. so uh, uh, look out for that email and if anyone else has questions. Uh, we also do media trainings. another way to get involved is to talk to local uh, reporters about the issues you care about um, uh, your your members in Congress and your their staffs uh, read the local papers before they read. Uh, the New York Times and the Wall Street Journal. Uh, So uh, we do media trainings uh, which will help you uh, learn to talk uh, on the record in a way that you can make your point uh, and uh, also protect yourself at the same time. So um, our next question is from uh, Carol Berger from Sacramento, California. Uh, Carol, you're now live. Yes, hello. Thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate the effort that you're putting into this. Um, I'm uh, obviously from California. I've had a healthcare uh, rehabilitation company here for 39 years, and my concern uh, with the healthcare piece is that we're repeating mistakes that we made before. So my question is, um, what, if anything, is being done, or is there any thought to creating working groups that are actually looking at the service delivery model itself as opposed to the what I would term that sort of the insurance model and the macro uh issue of how reimbursement is handled because what i see is that the service delivery model is broken and it's getting worse on a i think on a daily weekly basis.
2: Well, i appreciate that, Josh. Go ahead. Yeah, go ahead, Josh. I've been going first quite a bit.
1: Sure. Uh, I'm just respecting your seniority, Tom. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the uh It's a very, uh, very good question, Carol, and I, I, you know, I, uh, someone who, the two largest employers in my district are hospitals, so not only do I visit with hospitals a lot, but I visit with all the doctors and nurses who work there quite a bit, and you might imagine in the last months, this has been uh, top of the list in terms of of, of topics that people come up to me about and want to meet with me about, and I've had a lot of visits with groups of doctors and nurses and and, and, uh, and all different levels of providers and specialties. And you, you just put your, your, your finger right on the problem, right? It, it is – we can't just – this is not just about fixing the insurance side. It's about fixing the the actual health care side of, of the equation and um, and being responsive to, to how it's delivered, to how we care for people, to how doctors interact, to the time they have with patients, um, to the time – to how they're handled uh, – at the hospitals, you know, we, you know, you, you cannot, you know, part of my issue with how this was handled from the beginning was that it, it really didn't involve all the stakeholders sitting down and talking to each other. And not only wasn't it bipartisan, but it was we didn't really do the outreach that I think is necessary <clears throat> at all levels to to get the input we need. And and these things. And and by the way, Democrats and Republicans have both made this mistake. I believe, right? This is not just a one-sided problem here. We we all should be reaching out. We all should be listening. And that's how we're going to get the best. Improvements to the ACA and to the healthcare system overall is to actually think about how we best provide health, right? Healthcare. And that's what you do out there, clearly. And I've got lots of people who do the same thing in my district. I know Tom does as well. You know, listening to those voices to me is, is actually much more important than listening to some lobbyist. Um, and that's kind of how I've been looking at how we, we have to take on, take on and improve the system. And to a large degree, uh, you know, uh, we all recognize, um,
2: um, I think on both sides of the eye, what we're doing with the Affordable Care Act right now, given the vehicle of reconciliation, the 51 votes in the Senate that we're uh, doing this upon, we are focusing generally 99% of what we're proposing deals with health insurance, to Josh's point. And, and that's why it seems like uh, the effort really isn't getting into the service side, but we've always envisioned, I've always envisioned uh, in particular, that we take care of this first step uh, of uh, the Affordable Care Act, and do some things on the individual markets. We do some things in regards to insurance uh, impacts and the mandate impacts. You're, you're you're not taking care of healthcare in America, and so that was always going to be what we called the second and third phase on the Republican uh, side of the healthcare. Uh, debate and reform uh, that we were advocating for. Second phase being with Tom Price, who served on the Ways and Means Committee with me. I had lunch with him every week. Uh, You know, great. I'm glad he's in uh, the Department of Health. Great member who understands this issue, being a physician himself. He's doing a lot at HHS to look at this from a provider's perspective, service delivery perspective, and what he can do with the regulatory pen. And he's got a tremendous amount of authority under uh, the Affordable Care Act, even those provisions of the Affordable Care Act that will remain regardless uh, if we'd go forward with a repeal of the Affordable Care Act as proposed in the Senate or in the House. And then we're going to have the third phase, which gets into exactly your issue. Listen to frontline providers of how to re- deliver care better in America, how to promote bipartisan solutions on health care like telemedicine, bipartisan solutions when it comes to things like hospice and palliative care and end-of-life Uh, societal changes that we need to lead upon in Washington and ingrain in our medical schools as well as in uh, the delivery of healthcare. How do we make delivery uh, more transparent where value-based and and coordinated care uh, where you have a center of care where it's treating all aspects of the morbidity uh, that people are coming into a hospital or a doctor's office with and and making sure that those wraparound services are there. So that is something that uh, we should have probably led with but given the nature of 51 votes and uh you know, the fact that we don't have 60 votes uh, to take this on right now uh it was just uh, powers to be made the decision to go elsewhere so it's it's uh, i think broadly recognized that we can't just leave it with health insurance or affordable care act repeal and replace because it's much more complicated than just dealing with
0: that uh, we've got a, a few questions related to pass-through companies um, um, uh, to what extent? Here's here's one. To what extent is the problem solver caucus taking into account pass-through businesses, over 90% of all U.S. businesses, as part of tax reform to ensure all U.S. business uh, are competing fairly?
2: Well, that's a great question, and and you know maybe I'll I'll lead with this one, Josh, and we'll ping pong back and forth. You know that I that, think, that that you know, is I think you that we're
1: very much on the same page on this one. So rock and roll. Yeah, I, I agree. So, I
2: mean, I, I will tell you, uh, pass-through entities are the heart of America. I mean, those are your LLCs, your partnerships. And what we're proposing uh, in the Better Way document uh, that you can take a look at on the Republican side uh, is we're willing to, to carve uh, that business activity outside of the individual code, uh, and, but do it in a way that the rate differential between C corporations and the double taxation that they face uh, is not so uh, drastic that you're going to have a massive shift of income, and we're doing it in a cognizant way, so we're looking at you know, trying to get a corporate rate down to 20%, uh, the business pass-through at 25% because it's just got the, uh, the um, uh, one-time as opposed to double taxation effect that the pass-throughs represent, and then keep the individual code uh, in, in a way that's very competitive uh, with that uh, type of structure, so you don't have people bleeding off from the individual code and playing um, 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 abusive schemes in order to uh, take advantage of that lower rate at the business activity. Uh, level, So uh, well, that's what we're we're talking about, Is but I think there's broad agreement that we've got to lower the rates for everybody, and that when we talk about investors, you know, we've got to recognize that they're an economic engine, give them access to those lower rates, give them access to immediate expensing, and get that uh, uh, in a position where they're very competitive, uh, not only with the C-Corps, but uh, uh, the international companies as well.
0: Congressman Gottlieb?
1: And as I, as I said, I think uh, Tom and I are on uh, exactly the same place. We, when we when we look at tax reform in a comprehensive way and do it the right way, you can't just uh, deal with corporate tax reform. You have to deal with cor- what pass through, right? And you have to deal with where the you know, as, as was rightly pointed out, where where businesses are in our country, right? Small businesses are the anchor of our economies in in all towns across America. So and and you know I've, I've spent quite a bit of time in the last months. Talking to my business owners uh, about tax reform, and I visit with them and sit down, and, and they all say the same thing. You know, hey, what's this going to mean for us? What's this going to mean for me? How do I run my business? How do I make sure that I get, of course, all the benefits so that I can uh, reinvest in the economy and get all the and, and hire people we need and, and look for the future and, and, ha- and grow. And 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 frankly, when when we're working here in Washington on tax reform, that's that's what I believe we have to think first and foremost about is how do we be a champion of, of all the pass-throughs, you know, all the small businesses and medium-sized businesses that are in our districts? And, of course, think about the bigger businesses that, that do employ a lot of people as well. So uh, um, when, I, when I look at this and, and I think about how infrastructure has to be tied with it, and as, as Tom said earlier, and how we need to get this done, I think we can't wait much longer. I think we need, we need the relief, and we need to make sure we take on, uh, uh, in a comprehensive way, tax reform.
0: Uh, We have time for just one more question. This one is by by email from David Zalesny, president of Owen Steel Company in Columbia, South Carolina. Uh, David asks, if part of the funding for new infrastructure involves private investments from public-private partnerships or tax credits, is there bipartisan support to attach Buy America to infrastructure so that the U.S. economy receives the full benefit of the infrastructure investment?
2: Tom, you want to go you want well, to go? Josh, go ahead. <laughs> um, well, yeah, so. I, I, I will go. I mean, I, I will tell you that uh, I think uh, there there is an, a a populist uh, push out there for Buy America provisions that many of us as members uh, recognize and, and rightfully so. I mean, we're going to rebuild America's infrastructure. Uh, we should make sure that Americans have uh, that preference in regards to uh, making those event investments because those are you know U.S. taxpayers that are funding it. So. Uh, to, to me, that could be the makings of bringing more people to get to 218 and 60. Uh, but we also got to recognize that a lot of the supply chains and other issues and content and making sure you get that right, it's not as simple as just slapping on uh, the label of made in America, uh, given the nature of where U.S. manufacturing is, where the supply chains are coming from. And you got to just be cognizant of the fact that you don't want to hamstring yourself in uh, with a policy uh, that is populist. Uh, but because uh, you adopt that policy, you, you kind of are, are a penny wise but a pound foolish because it's just not the reality of the marketplace and where we are at. So I think there's a smart way to do that, do this. And I think there's a, a, a smart way to bring unity uh, in the made, of, uh, made in America requirements uh, that can work and that will bring people together. Uh, but we just got to also uh, make sure it's just not a, a, a slapstick policy that make us feel better but recognize that there are substantive issues uh, that are associated with such a policy.
1: You know, well, and I, you know, and I agree with what a lot of Tom said. Listen, we're aware, as you pointed out, wherever, wherever humanly possible, we should make sure that we can buy American. And so, wherever that's practical, wherever we can do it. Um, because why wouldn't we take care of our own economy first? It just is the, the right thing to do, and obviously, no one makes it as well as we do here. So, if it helps us grow jobs and, and, and invest and, and bring back certain sectors of manufacturing, that, that could use uh, a little injection of a little injection, then we should be doing it. And um, uh, you know I haven't seen the specifics of any legislation tied to this yet, so we got to look at the details to make sure it's practically done. Um, but overall, I think the broader point, which I think we've heard throughout this conversation, which uh, I hope I hope everyone hears on the call, there is an opportunity here to get something done in a bipartisan way and on infrastructure, on tax reform. We're in the midst of the, in the midst of the discussions. Even though we're not reading about it every day in the papers, there's a lot going on behind the scenes where we're sitting at tables trying to figure out how this would look, how it practically works. And then when we're home, I think every weekend, like we're going home now, the idea is to keep talking to people and to make sure that we hear from people how, what they think they need to, to stimulate the economy and to hire people. So we bring all that together. That, that's what I believe our job should be here, and to do it in a bipartisan way. So, Jim and to everyone on the phone, thank you very much for for having us, uh, please let your voices be heard, whether that's through, through the various organizations that Tom mentioned, through Business Forward, call us directly, however we can be helpful. We need the input as we continue to work in, in, in the weeks and months ahead. So, Thank you. Uh,
0: thank you both very much for joining us. Um, before we, uh, uh, we go, two quick announcements, first uh, we'll have a, be having a conference call on Monday 2 p.m. Eastern Time with Congressman Kurt Schrader, co-chair of New Democratic Coalition's Affordable and Accessible Healthcare Task Force. Uh, he'll be discussing uh, proposals to stabilize uh, the current healthcare market. Um, we're going to be sending a survey out tonight uh, for today's, uh, today for today uh, a survey e- email survey for today's call. Uh, please fill it out. Uh, we'll also be sending information about submitting testimony to Ways and Means. Um, thank you very much, Congressman Gottheimer. Thank you very much, Congressman Lee. We, we really appreciate it. Um, and um Kurt is a problem produced... solver,
1: Jim. So, Jim, Kurt Trader is a problem solver, so that'll be good for uh, everyone to hear. He's part of our group working on healthcare with us, too, so that's great.
0: Oh, fantastic. Um, and um, if you have any questions that weren't, we weren't able to get to, please email them to us at info at and we'll make sure they get to uh, the two congressmen. Uh, thank you all very much for joining us. Thank you so much, Jim. Thank you, everyone.
3: Thanks, everyone.